0: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we're going to be interviewing Arlen. Arlen is a buy and hold investor in the Bay Area. He started his real estate career by house hacking. And about six years ago, he took massive action and sold everything he had to acquire two fourplexes in Mountain View. He currently owns a variety of properties, including a light industrial commercial building in Milpitas. He constantly preaches about the value of swinging your own hammer and learning how to do construction work yourself. Here's Arlen. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and what kind of investing do you do.
1: Uh, Hey guys, Uh, my name is Arlen Chow. I do buy and hold uh, mainly here in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, ranging from Mountain View up to East Bay, up to uh, Oakland. Uh, doing both uh, residential, uh, commercial residential, and commercial light industrial buildings.
0: Nice. So how long have you been investing in real estate for?
1: Uh, really taking it seriously about the fat past five years. Um, I've been doing um, a house hacking for... A long time, uh, starting out with a a townhouse and uh, moving my way up. But uh, really getting into the real estate stuff, probably uh, past five, six years. So house hacking,
0: like you live in a townhouse and you rent out the other rooms to friends or random people. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So when I started out, and this is a long time ago, this is literally a couple decades ago. But uh, I had a a two-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath townhouse that I bought, um, found somebody on Craigslist and uh, rented out the other room did that for a few years. Uh, I got lucky. I got an expat deal uh, to live in Japan for a while. So I rented out the whole place uh, while I was living out in Japan um, to a a nice little family. When I came back from Japan, I was married, uh, lived in the place for a little while. When we decided to have a family, uh, we had to uh, upgrade, get more bedrooms. Uh, So that's when I sold that and got into my next house hack. Um, That Place was a three bedroom two and a half bath and then uh, once we decided to have another child we had to upgrade again and mm-hmm. end up with a, a four two and a half bath so I've done that uh, house hacking thing a few times now
0: nice so you're saying you started getting serious about five years ago can you walk me through yeah. what you mean by that and what did you do since then
1: um, so real estate's been something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. And when I say very long time for for decades, but uh, for decades, I was really into um, paralysis by analysis. I was doing a lot of research, a lot of reading. And um, I think it's something that a lot of people fall into, a a lot of people fall into. And I I was there for a long time. Five years ago, actually six years ago, I really kind of sat down and had a a heart-to-heart conversation with myself. Uh, I was getting up in the years and I knew that uh, if I didn't do it uh, at that point in time, I probably never would. And uh, I really just decided that, you know, it wasn't one of those things that I wanted to look back on and say, I wish I had. Um, so I made the decision and, and jumped in with both feet um, and uh, basically pushed all my chips in and got into a 2 Fourplexes in Mountain View at the same time, which was much more than I wanted to get into, but um, I, I knew it was the right thing to do. They're were, they were great buildings um, and they've cash flowed uh, essentially from day one. So uh, I'm glad I did it.
0: So I remember those were actually a pretty interesting deal. You want to talk about how you got those?
1: Yeah. So Uh, I started off looking for um, a fourplex. I I didn't want to do a single family home. I wanted to have a little bit of scale, but I didn't want to have too much. Um, And I came across a fourplex. Um, It it was nice. They're all one ones uh, in Mountain View. Uh, But there was two of them right next door to each other. Um, When I made the offer on the one fourplex, I didn't realize that uh, both of the buildings were – owned by the same people and uh, they came back and said they did not want to sell to anybody who would not buy both. Um, So that uh, scared away a lot of people. Um, It almost scared me away too um, because there are some financing issues that come along with that because it's a fourplex. They're basically residential. The, the banks are looking at them as residential buildings, uh, but you're getting eight units if you buy both of them. So it scared away the commercial guys because they couldn't get a commercial loan. And it scared away the residential guys because they didn't really want to step up to eight units. Um, but uh, I, I made the call and uh, went after both the, the buildings at the same time.
0: Nice. And they found on MLS.
1: They were, they were actually brought to me by an agent and, um, and uh, they were on market literally for a day um, and this was you know five six almost six years ago so it things were still really hot it, it, and uh, we made the offer within three days um, and I think we closed very very quickly within 30 days actually on, on both buildings
0: so how did you end up financing those buildings
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the that, that's the the big secret right so Um, that's a funny part of how I got into this thing. Um, I pushed in, when I say I pushed in all of my chips, I really pushed in everything. Um, I liquidated, uh, essentially every share of every stock I I had. Um, I pushed in, um, college money for my kids, 401k money. I pushed everything into this thing. Um, and the, you know, it's, it's it's funny now because my, my wife didn't know that at I did this. I do not recommend people (laughs) doing this. Uh, It just worked out really well for me. But I uh, am a firm believer um, that if I wasn't willing to believe in myself enough to that point, then how was I going to find somebody who was going to believe enough in me uh, to lend me the money? Um, So that's that's how I I finance the deals. I, I just basically went all in. So basically, you
0: cashed out everything you had that was liquid, and then you bought it like cash, basically.
1: Yeah, I, then... I pulled exactly. I pulled money out of my primary residence. I uh, financed. Yeah, I didn't finance. I, I uh, spent basically every single. I literally, when I say literally every single dime, I think we had like twenty five hundred dollars left Whoa. in our checking accounts. I mean, I I went down to to zero, uh, which put me into a really interesting position in that I had no money. To do renovations, so uh, I was busy for the next twelve months doing renovations myself um, in the evenings and on the weekends. Um, getting, we're, getting. We're gonna get
0: into that in a little bit because I know you're very famous for doing your own work <laughs> and swinging your own hammer. <laughs> like you preach that.
1: But before that's we right, go there, right.
0: um, so after you bought all those properties with cash, did you end up yeah. doing like a cash out refi at some point in the future?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I did. So um, basically, what I had to do the first literally the first two years were incredibly tough on me um, because the banks, um, they don't add in, well, a- at the time, they they wouldn't add in the rents that are getting, they could see the money that was coming in, in terms of rents, but they, they didn't apply it to my DTI. So, um, you know, my, my debt to income ratio just looked really, really bad mm-hmm. in terms of trying to get a loan for these things. Um, so for, for literally the first year and a half, almost two years, um, I was kind of skating on the edge of, 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 you know, the, the, the cliff there. Um, but once I got past that, um, you know, things opened up substantially. I, I had done, uh, the renovations on most of the units, actually on all the units, rents were up. Um, so then all of a sudden, you know, 24 months later, my DTI looked looked really good. So I was able to pull the money back out at that point.
0: So was that like a change in policy or because you did have like a seasoning period? That's why didn't add yeah, the I didn't have to
1: do I had no, I had no, you know, I had no history. So, you know, right. the banks didn't know me as an investor. They didn't know if I was going to, you know, fail. Um, so they weren't willing to take the risk. I think it is basically how it came down.
0: Okay, cool. So let's talk about swinging your own hammer. You're really big <laughs> on that. You want to talk about, about that philosophy and what do you yeah. actually do?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't think it really applies to a lot of areas that, you know, where labor might be really inexpensive. Uh, but here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's extremely expensive. And trying to get um, quality people in to work on your properties is ex- extremely difficult. They may be not just weeks, but months. And in some cases, uh, high-end guys are out years in terms of, you know, contractors coming out and working on properties. Um uh, and you know, I didn't have that time, and I didn't have the luxury of money to be able to pay these guys. Um, so for me, it was a matter of just learning how to do everything from um, cutting granite for the kitchen countertops, installing um, new uh, appliances, doing flooring, uh, doing electrical, doing everything, um, sheetrock. It, it was just a matter of having to do that. I just had to do it to, to get through my my two years um but on the the upside of it is that i learned a a tremendous amount uh about um you know what it actually costs to to do these type of renovations and the amount of time specifically the amount of time it takes Uh, because i had eight units and they were all exactly the same it was just a matter of you know going through the learning curve and then um, just kind of applying what i learned from one unit to the next my first unit took me three months of part-time work. So when I say part-time work, it was uh, I would put in my day at my you know W-2 job and then I'd go to the site in the evening, uh, eat in the car as I'm going there, and then work three to four hours at night and then do that over again the next day. And then on the weekends, I would put in full eight hours on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, so the first unit took uh, three months. Subsequently, uh, by the fourth or fifth unit, I was down to about three weeks uh, of doing that, you know, the same type of, uh, of work on each of the units. It was just because I was becoming more efficient. I knew what I was doing. Um, I was spending less time driving back and forth between the site and Home Depot to go buy miscellaneous things. Um, I kept a, a very, very detailed journal um, from day one, on what I was doing, how long it was taking me to do things, the tools I needed, the amount of materials I had, I, I had to have on site. Um, so, you know, I, I tell people, look, you know, the, the first few times you do it, yeah, it takes a long time. There's a lot of effort that's involved. But by the end, it's it's incredibly, it's incredible how fast you can actually do this type of work if you really know what you're doing and you have everything laid out and you're planned. Um, the added upside of it is that because I know how to do everything now, I can negotiate uh, much easier with contractors, with subs. If a plumber's coming in and they give me a quote for you know, new, new copper pipe, well, I can sit down, I can show them the pictures from the work that I've done and say, hey, you know, I know how to do this. I used to do it myself. Your, your pricing's out of line or the amount of time you're saying that it's going to take to do this is out of line. Um, same thing with material costs. If I have a contractor come in um, to do a kitchen or what, whatever, I can tell them, okay, this is how much I paid for cabinets. These are the type of cabinets that I want. Um, I know the difference between, uh, you know, cabinets that have, uh, you know, real wood backing on it versus, you know, the particle board. Um, so I mean, there there are all these subtleties that you you learn through actually doing and i I think anybody who has the time and the effort and can put in the effort um it's a it's a really good education at least it was for me yeah
0: i completely agree because you know i'm working a full-time day job and i'm pretty much outsourcing all of my work so i actually have no experience i have no idea how much or how much effort does it take to actually do some of these tasks and i wish i did have that experience just like okay i know how much it takes to bust down a wall how much it takes to rewire a house like how complicated sure. is it really?
1: Right, yeah. it, it, exactly. And, you know, it, it, when you sit down and think about it, you know, the, the guys who are actually doing the work, it, it's not like they went to school to, to learn this stuff. They learned it for somebody else. I mean, it, it really is, you know, tribal knowledge passed on from, you know, one person to the next on, you know, how you're going to sheetrock or how you're going to paint or do all these different type of things. And, you know, in, in this day and age with, you know, YouTube, you know, that tribal knowledge is out there for anybody to get. Um, so you, there, there isn't really that, that specialty, um, that you have to seek and have to pay somebody to get now. I mean, you, you can do a quick search and you have the knowledge.
0: Exactly. Yeah. YouTube is great. I'm actually using YouTube to figure out how to make my website.
1: Oh, know, that's on great. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's super helpful. It, it is. It is.
0: Cool. So besides that Mountain View property, I hear you've moved over to Oakland now.
1: Yes. You want to talk about yes.
0: Oakland properties and dealing with uh, I guess people who don't pay rent, you have to evict them. Yeah, cash or keys. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I have a, a few properties out in Oakland. So I made the move from Mountain View up to Oakland just because the, the, the price points were, uh, you know, much better uh, in the East Bay than they are down in the South Bay. Um, you can still find um, deals that are uh, cash flow positive from day one with, you know, uh, if you use like the, the 1% rule that people talk about. So they, uh, the, the, the buildings that I found out in Oakland, they're both 1% uh, well close to 1% when I actually purchased the, the buildings. Um, the tenants out in the, the East Bay, especially in Oakland area, they are much more aggressive. In terms of uh, you know believing it's their right to be living in your space, um, and that you should be providing you know all these amenities or a certain level of service or whatever um, whatever it is, um, you also have uh, rent control issues that you have to deal with um, in the Bay Area, especially in in Oakland cities like Oakland or Berkeley, uh, which make things a little bit more difficult. Um, I went through a uh, three-year uh, legal process in terms of some of my uh, my buildings up there. Are, I actually bought uh, four condominiums in North Oakland, and my tenants just arbitrarily said, well, these aren't; these shouldn't be considered uh, condominiums. They should be con- considered apartments, and that Costa Hawkins should not apply. Um, that's because the, the building itself used to be an apartment complex. The tenants were the same, um, but the previous owner... Uh, condotized them uh, legally, and uh, you know all the documentation is there. I bought them as separate condominiums, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the tenants went to the city, and the city said uh, they they agreed with the tenant and said, "Well, what? this should be treated as an apartment." Yeah, what? exactly. It's crazy. That's, it's that crazy. sucks. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And uh, you know, I wasn't willing to back down, so I went through a very long legal process where I essentially sued the city of Oakland uh, for my rights. Um, I won at the county level in Alameda County court, um, the city of Oakland appealed. So we went to the California Supreme court, uh, the state Supreme court. Uh, and I, I, won there and that, that, was the end of it, but it did take, um, three years of, of, legal fighting, um, with the, the city and with the tenants, um, you know, to, to, to protect my rights in ter- you know in terms of the, the properties themselves. So, uh, city of Oakland, you know, cities that have very strong you know uh, rent control um, ordinances or that are very pro tenant, um, very very difficult uh, to to make a dollar in those cities. However, if you find the right strategies, um, it can be very very beneficial in the long run.
0: And when you finally won did city of oakland pay for all your legal costs or did you have to just eat
1: it? no oh. yeah, i mean they, they they pay for some of it so i you know i did get some checks back or i did get some checks from the city of oakland um but you know it was nowhere near uh you know the the total legal cost that you know i paid for for my attorneys um you know, and that's that's the strategy for a lot of these tenants is that they have nothing to lose. And they, they just try to drag out the process, you know, as long as they can because you know they 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 know that most landlords are just gonna cave. They don't wanna pay the, the large legal fees, they don't, don't want to go through the the multi-year battle of trying to protect their rights. Um, and so that's the strategy that they use. But In my case, I, I just wasn't willing to to cave on that because I knew that um, having these condominiums, uh, you know, it, it protected me in the long run because now I had Costa Hawkins on my side. So it gives me much more control uh, over my properties than if it was considered, you know, an apartment complex. Do you want to explain
0: Costa Hawkins for people who don't know?
1: Yeah, so, you know, Costa Hawkins is... Um, it, it, I wouldn't say it's a protection, but what it does is allows people who own uh, a single family home or a, a townhouse or a condominium um, the right to be able to raise rents. They have much more control over their properties than an apartment complex where somebody may own 10 units. Um, In the long run, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that you know that they 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 treat these properties differently the 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 cities Um, and they're trying to fight that right now. Where in the city of Oakland, um, they're trying to take the rights away from small uh, property owners that have duplexes or triplexes. Up until now, Costa Hawkins protected. property owners, if they lived in the property in a duplex or a triplex, they had certain rights. They were able to raise the rents or they were able to evict tenants um, if their tenants were noisy and they didn't have to fight their way through the the city um, and try to get people evicted. However, um, now the city of Oakland is trying to take that right away from people who are living there. Um, So it makes You know, having Costa Hawkins on your side makes life a lot easier for the property owner um, because in theory they are single family homes or in, you know, in in these cases, duplexes or triplexes, which are uh, residential, um, non-commercial residential buildings. um, And gives you that ability to, you know, place the rents where they need to be um, to evict tenants. Um, that may be causing you issues uh, much more easily. But those rents are, are slowly being taken away from, from property owners, not just here in the Bay Area, but uh, all over the U.S.
0: Yeah, like this past election season, they had an option to repeal Costa Hawkins. So we had to make yeah. a very, like, we had to read it very carefully because it's like a double yeah. negative, right? So you that's have right. to make sure you vote the right way.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. But Mountain View is not rent controlled, right? Or it's not that's It is.
1: Well, it, it, you know, they, they have, they, they placed some restrictions on, on landlords. Um, They actually uh, placed RC in Mountain View. uh, I think it was a year or two years ago and they actually rolled back the rents. Uh, Yeah. Which, which was, you know, very hard for, for some landlords. Luckily for me, I had already done all my um, rent increases prior to the, uh, rent control ordinance actually becoming a, a, an issue in the city of Mountain View. Um, so I only had to do it to one tenant where I actually had to like refund like a year's worth of the Delta between, uh, what she was paying before and, uh, you know, what she had been paying with the market rent that I was charging her. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of property owners got got hit pretty hard with that. Gotcha. So besides those two
0: properties, what else do you have in the pipeline?
1: Um, I've got a light industrial building in the city of Milpitas, uh, which is great. I, you know, having a triple net building is is really about as hands off as you get because the the tenants are basically paying for everything. The air conditioner breaks; they're taking care of that. They're helping to pay um, property taxes. They're helping to pay with landscaping. If um, something breaks inside the the unit, uh, the lighting goes out or something, they they take care of that. It's about as hands off as you can get. Nice. Uh, um, so in in two thousand nineteen, I just uh, went into contract this past Monday on a triplex in the city of Hayward. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, so Congratulations thank you very much. So I, I'm excited for that. Um, I'm also looking for more industrial building space in Santa Clara County. Um, so th- those are my, my goals for, for 2019.
0: You guys aren't renting out your industrial building to yourself, are you? Or you have some separate tenants?
1: Yeah. So I, I have kind of a mix. So I have the, the industrial building that I own, um, part of it, I, I, rent out to myself. So one entity rents it out to another entity, nice. uh, which both of them, I control, but I also have tenants, um, in, in most of the, the space actually, um, that are doing a lot of different types of things. So just, you know, straight up just renting them out. Have you preferred one over the
0: other, like residential commercial versus, you know, corporate well, commercial you know, commercial?
1: Yeah. yeah the, 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 the industrial buildings are definitely easier. Um, because you know you don't have any worries about you know rent control. The um, the tenants they they do understand um, you know what's going on, what they have to take care of. Um, you usually go into like a three or a five year lease term with built in um, rent increases year on year of, of a certain percentage, whatever you, you guys negotiate. Um, so it's much more clear, it's cut and dry. Um, so I do I, I do like that side of it much more. Yeah. Um, getting into the buildings is a little bit more difficult because they are, you know, larger dollar value. Um, the other issue is that, you know, you, you look at the tenants differently, um, than you would at residential tenants in the terms of, you know, commercial buildings, you're looking at the PL of the company that's going to be in that space. Cause you want to make sure that they're going to be successful, that they're going to be able to pay the bill. So they, you know, they, they show you, you know, what their past five years looked like if they're moving into your space or whatever. Maybe this is – and they show you, you know, their, their cost structure and things like that. So, you know, that side of it's great. But at the same time, if you don't have a space that's desirable, um, it's really, really difficult to find somebody who's going to move into, you know, a funky little space. Whereas in residential stuff, you know, they, the market's so tight you know, on the residential side that if you've got a space, somebody's going to definitely move into it.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I like that in the you know corporate, I guess. Do you call it industrial commercial? Yeah, industrial commercial, the tenant base is more sophisticated. Yeah. They're all businessmen or, you know, they're... Yeah. Yeah, but whereas tenants for residential, they're, you know, people. This is their home. They're really <clears throat> emotional about it. Like you said, they're yeah. very worried about, like, their rights as a tenant and it could give you as a landlord a mm-hmm. lot of headaches.
1: Definitely. Uh, yeah. Definitely.
0: So how do you go about financing these uh industrial commercial buildings
1: yeah you know it's very very similar to uh, the the residential buildings um you know depending on the banks you're getting you know 65 percent you know loan to value ratios um sometimes 75 depending whatever it is so i mean you have to bring a lot more money to the table because you know these buildings are are, are much more expensive but you know the, the lending process that i found you know I, i've been told it's very very different um uh, but getting into it It hasn't been all that different than the residential side. It seems almost more difficult, to be honest with you, because they they wanted, uh, you know, the banks wanted much more information in terms of you know my businesses and my cash flow, uh, which is not what they say typically, like on you know BP or other uh, forums, Um, and they say you know the building needs to be able to stand on its own and things like that. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm you know I'm a very very small player. Um, trying to get bigger. Uh, I think as I you know uh, get more experience and I get more buildings under my belt, then things will turn around and things will be based much more on the buildings themselves and the tenant base and things like that than I may be able to pull into them. But till this point, it's been really not that different than the residential stuff that I've been doing.
0: Interesting. I mean, that LTV doesn't seem as high as they are for residential. Like usually you can get 80% yeah, commercial sixty five percent, and yeah. I I guess you're not raising those thirty five percent. You just have it to to put down.
1: Yeah, I mean, nice. it's just been you know for 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 me, it's been pulling. You know, being in the Bay Area, you know, appreciation has just you know been insane. Um, so I've been, you know, pulling money out of my other buildings to fund the down payments for you know the next building that's coming down the road. Makes sense. So yeah, you know, I so I'm I am i am a yeah, you know, I'm definitely on the side of the appreciation, you know, fence versus mm-hmm. the cash flow fence, you know, when you when you start talking to a lot of investors they'll they'll talk to you about cash flow and then you know some people talk to you about appreciation but definitely here in the bay area appreciation has has definitely been on my side
0: that's right like how many houses do you have to get to get a billion dollars if you're yeah, investing exactly. in the midwest right but here right. it's one house right <laughs> one house for 10 years that, that's a million dollars that's right so are you pulling the money out with a heloc or cash out or cash out refi or how are you doing that financing
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a combination of of both. Um, so in the case of a HELOC, um, I was able to work with one lending institution that gave me a HELOC on my primary residence, but they also wrapped around the value of a couple of my, um, rental properties, my, my residential rental properties into that HELOC. So it gave me a a massive amount of credit in the form of a HELOC, um, so that that was one thing that I did. Um, and I was very busy uh, at the tail end of 2018, just refinancing my other buildings doing cash out refis. So I took, you know, both both avenues of, of you know, cash out refis and, and HELOC to you know, pull together cash for 2019.
0: Nice. So now you're ready to throw down for those Hayward properties and a new like commercial Santa Clara County.
1: Yeah, that's that's that that's the plan for two thousand nineteen.
0: That's very ambitious. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, But it's uh, you know I, yeah go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, you know, I'm definitely saying you know you know uh, prices go down a little bit in, in different areas um, in the East Bay, especially um, you know it, on this triplex that that we signed on on Monday. Um, there were only three offers that came in. Um, one was just a throw and they just lowballed it just just see if it would stick. Um, and it was just me and, and, and another, another guy. And we actually came in lower, uh, be, but because our offer looked like it was a cash offer, um, they took us over the other guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So,
1: you know, they, the market definitely looks like it's changing. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, what, yeah. what kind of mistakes do you think you've made over your career as a real estate investor?
1: I mean, you know, definitely, you know, the, the the first thing that comes to mind is just the 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 fact that I was in, you know, paralysis by analysis for so long, just thinking that I need to read more stuff, thinking that I needed to do more research and things like that. Um, that was definitely you know, one of the largest mistakes that that I made in terms of uh, my progress um, in real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I think the, the, the second, uh, mistake that I, I would say I made was that, you know, I'm still learning the whole cash for keys thing, um, like in Oakland and other places and things like that. I think that, you know, maybe if I had a, a, approached it a little bit differently and handled my negotiations earlier on, that maybe I wouldn't have gone through, you know, three years of legal battles to, you know, get my control of my properties back. Um, you know it, it, at the end of the day the only people who made any money on this thing were were the attorneys um, the tenant you know she got a little bit of money but it was far less than you know I was willing to pay at the beginning of the process mm-hmm. but you know she came in and she was asking for uh, almost twice the amount of money as I paid for the unit itself
0: no way yeah so it, I- it, it what did you buy yeah, the it, units for? Like,
1: so I, I bought the units for 125,000 each. Okay, um, and this is in the city of Oakland. So you know, 125. That wasn't the down payment. That was the the full price of the condos. Um, and she came in. <gasps> you know, when she was asked for cash or keys, she asked for 220. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and and you know I. I just looked at her and said, "Look, you're you're putting me in a position where I just have. There, there's no reason for me to negotiate because we're, you know, a hundred thousand dollars off." And then I just knew that there wasn't. You know, I wasn't going to spend a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in legal fees. Um, so it, it just made more financial sense to go through the actual process and battling it down um, than, you know, trying to, you know, give her two hundred twenty thousand dollars or whatever it is. Um, so what do you usually yeah, pay? I mean, what do you usually pay for cash for keys? In Oakland. So to be honest with you, I haven't done it yet. I haven't had to. Um, so in in those properties up there in North Oakland, it was actually two tenants um, that I went through this process with. One tenant actually um, kind of left on his own. Um, and I, I think we we gave him $2,000 in moving expenses and uh, two months uh, rent free. Nice. Uh, you know, while he was looking for some place to 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 move to, um, so that was you know completely reasonable, at least you know on, on paper. Um, so you know, I don't think typically you would get away for with two thousand dollars. I think you know, even in the city of Oakland, you're probably looking in the five digit range, you know, ten thousand plus to you know try to get cash for keys. At least that's what I've heard. Um, I've heard up to you know fifty thousand um, dollars to get a unit back. But nice. um, luckily, yeah. Luckily, I haven't had to do that myself. Gotcha. Now,
0: I was wondering, you said one of your biggest mistakes was not starting earlier. You know, this is a kind of conceptual question. Would you, like knowing what you know today, would you go through and like start in 2007 just so you could have, you know, more experience and time? But but knowing like, hey, you start in 2007, you're going to get burned in 2008. Like you're going to get hurt really badly. But would you have still done it?
1: Right, right, right. I mean, you know, here here's an interesting thing uh, about that. So, um, you know, I bought my primary residence um in 2008. Um
0: before the crash know,
1: While It was like during the crash, right? While while the crash was like happening. So, 2008 going into 2009, I think we closed in 2009. Mm. Um, and, you know, prices were going down and I actually was able to negotiate down, um, you know, the, the purchase price of the property. Um, but I've. Like I said, I've been researching it, the, this market for a long time, even prior to that. So I was very confident that, you know, land prices, property prices would, would go come back up. Um, and, you know, my belief is that if you're a buy and hold, which is, you know, what I do, if you're buy and hold, time is on your side in a a market like the Bay Area. Um, I I think my, my parents first house in Palo Alto, uh, in the late seventies, I think they bought it for like $25,000. Right. Yeah. it, It was a three bedroom, two bath house that I, you know, that I grew up in. And, you know, I think, when I looked it up uh, a few years ago, it was like worth $2 million. So, you know, definitely if, if, if you're a buy and hold guy in a, you know, in a, you know, appreciating market, then, you know, time is on your side if you're willing to ride the roller coaster.
0: So 10 years ago, we were thinking that the current prices were really expensive. Yeah. Like, oh my God, how am I going to afford a house? House in Sunnyvale go for $700,000? We're never going to be able yeah. to afford it. Yeah. Today, that number has doubled at least, right? Sunnyvale yeah, House is going to be 1. 1.7, 1. Yep. 1.8. And now we're saying the same thing. Oh my God, this is so expensive. How are you ever going to buy a house? Yeah. Knowing what you know now, do you think that in 10 years, we're going to think, damn, 1.7 is cheap. We should have bought it 10 years ago? Right,
1: right, right. right. Well, you know, I, I don't, the way I look at the market now is a little bit different than what I, you know, the way I looked at it 10 years ago or even 20 years ago in that I don't think it's the acquisition price that that is the, the killer at this point in the game. Um, you know, if it's a million dollars or two million dollars, if, you know, here in the barrier, you got a lot of guys sitting on a lot of shares of, of whatever um, that they can cash out and they can buy a property. The issue, I think, is, you know, people need to think about the property taxes that they have to pay, mm. you know, year and year on year. Uh, moving forward, um, you know, property taxes on a million dollar, you know, home yeah. is going to cost you, you know, over 20,000, $20,000 $20, a year. Yeah. Right. So now if you're looking at a $2 million house, you're looking at, you know, forty, forty-five thousand $45,000 a year, you know, so, you know, it's exponential. Right. So it, it's like, well, can you afford to pay the property taxes? I think is, is, is more of a, a, a more of an important question than anything else because $45,000, you know, that's, you know, post tax, right? After your income tax, you know, that's getting pulled out of your paycheck. So you got to be pulling down a really, really large, you know, W-2 income to be able just to pay your property taxes on a $2 million property. And it's not tax deductible anymore either. That's right. What a pity. So Yeah, you know, it really changes the game. It really changes the game and changes the mindset. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Maybe it's a little bit different on, um, you know, uh, income producing uh, properties. But I think, you know, people have to be really, really careful and think about, you know, can they afford the property taxes coming down the line if they're going to buy themselves a a primary residence.
0: Right. I mean, there's that one tax code that lets you sell your house if you're married and you get a $500,000 deduction. Right. But then it's like not to buy a new house and I lose my low property tax value. It's like, "Mm, don't know if it's worth it to to cash out the 500 today
1: exactly exactly no
0: that's a good point how do you deal with that and so you think that prices won't go up anymore i mean clearly there's people buying like 12 million dollar mansions in atherton or yeah. san francisco yeah and like two point five in Cupertino. so
1: yeah i mean i, I think you know, definitely you know there's people still buying stuff um i think that a lot of people who are buying these you know two million dollar residences and you know look, you know, put aside the guys who are buying, you know, $10 million homes because they're, they're probably making, you know, $10 million a year in in salary. But, you know, people who are trying to, you know, buy a $2 million house on double income, you know, if somebody gets hurt and can't work or something happens, um, I I think, you know, the, the, the property taxes are what's really going to kill them, um, more so than, you know, the, the monthly payments, um, I know very, very few people who are, are, are putting aside money every single month for their property taxes that are coming up every six months. Um, and I think, you know, people are just going to you know be shocked when they get their, their first property tax bill. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. It's true. Um, mm. I guess, but there's no cure for this because property taxes are only going up.
1: That's right. The value that's, goes right. Up. that's right. So, I mean, I, I think I, I think if you're, you know, if it were me and i was younger and you know in my 20s or early 30s i would probably try to if if buying a primary residence was something that i wanted to do i would do my very best to get into one as quickly as possible because you have you know uh, prop 13 which you know capture property taxes you know over a longer period of time and when you're younger you know that you have you know at least you you hope that your income's going to continue to rise and that you'll, you'll be able to to climb the corporate ladder. So you'll be making more money over time. Um, if you've you know, kind of gone past that point and you're kind of an older guy like me, um, I'd really, really think hard about, you know, buying a two or $3 million home and whether I'd be able to continue paying property taxes on that for the rest of my life. Mm.
0: Yeah, makes sense. But, okay, imagine you're a younger guy and you see yeah. these ridiculous price tags. Like to me, they seem mm-hmm. ridiculous, but like, do you think there's still room to grow? 10, 20 years from now, are they gonna be?
1: Yeah, you know, the Bay Area, yeah. yeah I mean, the Bay Area itself is, is very unique in that it, it's not an arbitrarily defined market, right? You have physical boundaries with the Pacific Ocean on one side, you have, you know, the hills on the other side, you got the Bay right in the middle. Um, So there's a limitation of land. I mean, a a definite limitation of land. Um, I spent a lot of time in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there's just land for as far as you can see. But here in the Bay Area, it's pretty limited. And, you know, no matter what everybody says about, you know, um, housing problems here in the Bay Area, there is a very, very strong undercurrent of, you know, not in my backyard, right, nimbyism. And it's very, very difficult. To build, um, you know, high density housing in the Bay Area. So the, the rate at which they're building now, which seems like a lot, is nowhere near what the Bay Area actually needs if it's going to keep up with its, you know, growth rate and, and its potential growth rate moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think if you can get into something, you know, if I could, if I was young, if if I could get into something, I still would. Gotcha.
0: I mean, yeah, people's uh, salaries and bonuses are still going up very, very high. Yeah. And like you said, there's just so many people that, yeah, makes sense. Prices should yeah. go up. And it's like the way I see it, if Cupertino could support an average of like two point five to $3 million per home, then why not Milpitas in the future?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So
0: it's like, eh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, buildings right near my office here that I had, to, I had looked at in two thousand nine, um, two thousand eight, um, and they were like four hundred thousand dollars back then. And more recently, they were selling for one point five million dollars. Nice. I mean, it, it, it's huge amount of appreciation. Um, so yeah, I mean, Milpitas is coming up. I mean, you look at you know housing prices like in East Palo Alto. People used to think you know East Palo Alto would always be you know a bad place to live, but now, you know, you've got million dollar homes in East Palo Alto.
0: Yep. Very surprising. Yeah. Very surprising. It's happening.
1: It's happening everywhere.
0: So what kind of advice would you give to newer investors who I guess want to get in the game and want to end up like you in the future?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, I I think, you know, definitely you got to work on, you know, building up cash. I mean, that was, you know, one of the first things that I learned was, you know, definitely cash is king. And they talk about, you know, you know, no money down, buying property, anything that just does not work here in the Bay Area. Um, you got to have a, a strong cash base. So if I was young, um, you know, I would be working all the side hustles that I could. Um, I, you know, talk about this a lot on, you know, different forums about, hey, you know, get your income stream up. You know, it doesn't matter what it is get your side hustles going, whether it's, you know, Uber driving or doing, you know, retail arbitrage um, or trying to make money off of, you know, uh, social media. Um, But get your income streams going, get multiple incomes going. Um, And definitely, you know, live like a monk, Uh, live cheap, be humble about it, you know, don't, you know, get sucked into the bling of social media and having to have, you know, the nice watch, the nice car, the nice clothes and things like that. And just really focus on, you know, what your long-term goals are. Um, I, that, that would be my recommendation on the financial side of things. On the other side, on the flip side of things, you know, I would learn as much as I could about, uh, you know, the, the renovation aspect of, of the buildings, you know, doing your own flooring or painting or whatever it may be. Um, because I, I definitely think that the safest way to get into real estate, especially in a market like the San Francisco Bay area is, you know, going through the house hacking routes, especially if you're, you're young and you're single. Uh, if you can get into something and you can, you know, extend out your, your college years of, of living with roommates and things like that. If you can do that, uh, get yourself a property and start building yourself some equity and things like that. And then you have uh, a lot more opportunities coming down the road, um, leveraging off that first property
0: yep that makes a lot of sense and i'm usually doing that right now i have roommates that are paying for basically my whole mortgage so i can live like a monk you know I, yeah, there yeah, you go. I it's great that's great
1: you know as a young guy you have you know a huge amount of time on your side you know the 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 thing that i'm saying right now especially like you know uh, social media is that people think they have to make a ton of money like right away like in their 20s like if you're 25 and you haven't made a million dollars, like, you, you know, you're over the freaking hill. It's not, it's not the case, right? But, you know, you, they talk about, you know, teenagers making a million dollars, you know, off of Instagram or whatever it may be. You know, it, that's not the norm. It, it's just not. And it, if, you know, people who are getting into real estate, you know, they have to get away from that social media mentality and understand that, you know, real estate is a long game. It's really, you know, should be a generational game, And that's the way I approach it as generational wealth, not, you know, immediate, you know, gains to, you know, get to certain level of, of income. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why I'm driven towards um, being a buy and hold, you know, in, investors because I'm looking for that generational wealth right. that if I lay down the groundwork now that, you know, my grandkids, they'll, they'll They'll be fine no matter what happens to the economy.
0: That's a great way to think about it. I have to think like, I have to think that I'm young for 50, you know? And then, oh yeah, then, oh yeah, whatever I do now doesn't matter. It's not even a big deal.
1: I mean, you you think of it in terms of like if you're in your 20s, right? If you're in your 20s, you still have like 50, at least 50 more years of income earning time, Mm. right? At least like. If you just keep working at this real estate stuff, you got like 50 more years easily to keep making money. You see this book
0: right yeah. here? I'm reading this book. Uh Johnson told me about it. It's called Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell. Oh cool. Sam Zell is apparently this big shot real estate investor. He's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm super old, but I'm still working. You know, I doesn't, yeah. doesn't feel like work. He's just doing his yeah. thing.
1: Well, you know, in in I, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, a lot of the younger people don't have the same perspective in that. You know when when people get older it's not like they just want to like sit down and like drink mai tais like forever on the beach like i know a lot of guys who have like retired like in their 60s who have got you know millions and millions of dollars just stacked away right but after maybe a year they just get bored out of their mind yep. and they come back to the workforce you know and when i say come back to the workforce they're starting a new business or doing you know whatever So you know, retirement is not, you know, in the long run is I don't think is you know all that it's made up to be. It's you know it's it's a I think the goal at least for me is you know the the thing that would suck the most right for me is being old and not have any money. Yeah. Right. I mean that's I mean you know I, I put up a post on BP a while back about. You know, when I was in high school, I worked in, in a convalescent home. And so I was like delivering food to you know these people in their in their rooms, and um, you know just j- just the you, you could just feel the regret in this entire place, right? right? Because you know they didn't have the money to. I mean, they had the money to be in this you know nice comp. I mean, this wasn't some trashy little con- convalescent home. This was a nice convalescent home, but you know they didn't have the money to be you know in home hospice care or they didn't have the money to be like traveling around with a, like a nurse or something like that to take care of them you know they, so they they're basically you know stuck in this one place until you know the inevitable comes along right yeah. and to me you know my goal is to avoid that mm-hmm. right so my really really long term goal is just to make sure that I have wealth in place or I'm building wealth to the point where I can continue to pay for, you know, healthcare or be outside or do whatever I want and not be, you know, limited in, you know, some place like a, a, a convalescent home. And, you know, being, you know, being young in your in your 20s or even your 30s, that's like so far outside the realm of reality nobody's thinking about, you know, being in a convalescent home when they're, you know, 25, 26, 27 years old. But, you know, the, the the reality reality of it is, is that, you know, if people don't take care of their things at a young age and start building up toward that, they're going to be really surprised when they're like 50 or 60 years old. And it's really coming down the road.
0: Right. That's why I'm really glad. Like yesterday at our meetup, there's so many of people in like my generation. We're all kind of oh, yeah. young, right? And yeah. I'm sure like if we all stay in the game, even if yeah. whatever stuff happens th- today, we start back from zero, yeah. we're all bankrupt. Ten yeah. years from now, we're all going to be killing it. Like we're gonna yeah. going to be ones on stage talking to everybody and blah blah blah. It's going to be that's right. It's going to be interesting. It,
1: it, it, yeah, that was really interesting. Your your meetup was like that was like the youngest crowd, you know, at a meetup that I've ever been to. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, of real estate people I'm all. Like, oh, wow, I am definitely like the oldest guy here. I don't you know and why. Daniel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah that was that, that was that, that was great though was, it was a good crowd that it was, was
0: really crowd. fun I, I enjoyed it a lot thank you so much for coming out to support by the way
1: yeah yeah that's, that's great
0: yeah so how can people get in contact with you
1: um they can get get a hold of me on bigger pockets uh i post there quite a bit um i've started doing a, a little bit of uh, instagram I'm not, like i said i'm an old guy so i'm trying to figure out how how this thing works um my instagram is uh real estate safari um so you can kind of see me there i kind of post up things. I'm trying to post up more on, you know, what I'm looking for properties, what I'm doing, um, things like that. I get a lot of questions about, um, how to go about finding properties or what I'm looking for. So I, this seems to be a, a good platform to just kind of put information out there. That's right.
0: Instagram is a great way to get even like deal funders.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Speaking of BP real quick, BP yep. seems to be very much in a whole mindset, like you're saying, cash flow in the Midwest, like out of state yep. investing. And I remember one time you posted something about how you made like a million dollars of equity in your Los Altos home. And some guy just gave you a lot of shit for it. They're like, Oh, that's not replicable. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I I stopped going on BP because that's like a different mentality. Why are you, why are you still on BP?
1: Uh, You know, I post on BP because I think the information needs to get out there. Um, You know, there, there's always two sides to every conversation. Um, You know, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily think, you know, investing in the, in the Midwest and things like that is bad. I mean, maybe that's the only place, you know, somebody can start. and that, That's completely fine. Um, I'm just of the, the mindset that, you know, if for me being in the Bay Area, uh, you know, appreciation is, you know, it, it's not the, you know, it, it's not the cherry on, on top of the cake. It, it is the entire meal um, because you can make so much more money on the appreciation side and a lot of people come back and say, well, you know, that's, you know, speculation that's gambling and things like that. But I mean, really, you know, it, that's what investing is about. If you're buy us, you know, shares in Apple, you're hoping those shares are going to go up. Right. Mm, that's right. Um, it, it's, it's the same type of thing. You do your research and then you buy the product, whatever it may be shares of Apple or shares of Intel, or, you know, a residential single family home that you think is going to rise in appreciation. Um, you know, I, I would say like, Buying for cash flow is kind of like, you know, uh, it's a safe way to go. I mean, it's like buying dividend
0: stocks. You know, like buying companies that you don't expect to grow, but they would pay you out like whatever percent.
1: Exactly. If you're if you're willing to park your money there and you know collect that trickle of income, then you know that that that's fine too. Um, I think there's different strategies for different people. Um, I just, for me, the appreciation appreciation play has, has you know really really worked out well
0: and what is your buying criteria for properties in the bay
1: um, you know it for me personally on um, you know the, the the residential properties themselves, I'm looking for uh, properties that are in areas that I think will become gentrified um, that have a good base of uh, people who are already there and when I say base so like uh, parts of Oakland um, are actually, you know, really nice, you know, communities, uh, family oriented kids walking around with their parents and things like that. Um, but, you know, the image of Oakland is just, Oh my God, you can't invest there. Uh, so, you know, I look for uh, properties in those type of neighborhoods. Um, I personally only look for um, one bedroom or studio uh, apartment type, you know, um, uh, type of deals um, some people like two bedrooms some people like threes um, i just like the smaller units because i'm hoping for higher churn uh, because if, if you know people move in and out that way if they move out i can raise rents to you know market rates if that's mm, you know, that makes sense. if i'm below them um, and so you know people usually move into a, a, a one bedroom it's going to be a single person maybe then they get you know then they become a couple and then after a while they're, they're going to leave um, so that's that's the type of properties that I,
0: I'm personally looking for. Do you do something like one percent cash flow rule, or it's like that's not a thing anymore?
1: Well, I think you know, in, in the Bay Area, uh, you have to look. You have to have a plan to get to to one percent rule. Um, if you, you want to buy something as close to one percent as you can, but you have to have that plan that's going to get you to to one percent.
0: So basically, you um, want stabilized one percent rule.
1: Yes, within maybe area.
0: one year. Hopefully, if they you know everything gets they leave exactly.
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. That that's what I'm looking for. Um, you know, if if you sit down and try to analyze deals all day long, looking for something that's one percent straight out of the shoot, um, you're going to be looking for a long, long time.
0: Sure, sure, that makes sense. So you're okay with taking like negative cash flow hits for the first few. Months
1: well, I mean, negative, yeah, I mean, negative, negative cash flow. Cash flow is a is a function of your your down payment, right? That's true. And so. You know that's that's something you can control whether it's going to be cash flow positive or cash flow negative depending on you know, how much cash you're able to bring to the table at the time of the acquisition. Mm. So you know that's not you know I don't go into a deal that's cash flow negative. So when I go into it, it's already cash flow positive, but that's based upon the amount of you know money I'm putting down. Right. So I'm not you know I'm not looking for a deal where I, I go into the bank and I'm getting you know 85 percent LTV. Right. I'm happy at 60 or 65 percent LTV. Yeah, sixty-five. You know, sixty to sixty-five percent LTV. I know the property is going to cash flow at the existing rents at mm-hmm. the existing rent rates when I when I acquire the property. So I don't have to worry about that piece right away. That makes sense. But it, you know, it does. You know, it makes it more difficult because I have to bring more money to the table. Right. So you can't grow as like, fast. Yeah,
0: because you're not using as so, much leverage. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then you don't get burned because you know the the a, rents now are already point. so low, so it can't go lower, right? That's right.
1: It's a much safer play, especially, you know, in, in times like now where, you know, property prices are kind of, you know, bumping along, maybe going down a little bit. And, you know, people are talking about, a, you know, another dip in prices and things like that. So, um, you know, I prefer to, to, to go into acquisitions, you know, at that lower LTV. Okay. That makes a lot of sense.
0: And you're only looking for multifamily, no single families, right? I guess you yeah, don't make not, single families one ones, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah no, I'm not, not looking for any single families at this point. Cool. Makes a lot of sense.
0: All right, well, that's all the questions I had. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate all of your very thoughtful and great answers.
1: Well, I, I'm honored that you wanted me to speak here. So thank you very much. And you know, I, I appreciate our talks. Yeah.
0: All right, thanks, man. Here are some key takeaways I got from talking to Arlen. When you see a good deal, go in. Sell everything you have, put your chips on the table, and just do the deal. You should also learn how to do construction work yourself so that you know how much effort, time, and money it takes to get a job done. It'll give you a stronger negotiating power when talking to contractors. Try to think of generational wealth, not just short-term gains. Everyone is very young, and everyone still has a chance. I'm almost 30, and that's incredibly young compared to someone who's 50. And someone who's 50 is young compared to someone who's pushing 70. You have time. Think long-term and hold. Hope you guys all enjoyed this episode and I'll see you around next time. Take care. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks, and have a great day.